Okay, so tonight we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through Leviticus. Uh, only two chapters tonight, no problem. Leviticus chapter 16, if you have your Bible foot there. Um, 16 and 17, it's like 50 verses, easy peasy. Um, and... Uh, here's what we're going to do. We did this last week, and I liked it. I don't know if you liked it, but once you have your Bible open on your phone or the physical Bible, uh, let's actually stand together as we read the Word of God. It's just cool. It's out of reverence for the Lord. It's also kind of long. helps you maybe pay attention, not just get distracted, fall asleep, yada, yada. Um, also, I have an OCD question. Can someone close that back door? Just, sorry, OCD. Let you guys in a little. All right, Leviticus chapter 16 and 17. Here we go. You guys ready? It's going to be good. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put the holy on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Who the heck is that? And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals from, of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. 
Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. So he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel." Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then... Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, that means fast, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, now chapter 17 is just a quick two qualifiers on that. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood of the 
on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasant aroma to the Lord. So they shall sacrifice no more sacrifice. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. Wow. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. One more thing. If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat any blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is in the blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. The word of the Lord. Good job. You guys can take a seat. Let's pray and ask God for a lot of help. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Leviticus. Thank you for these crazy verses and even these things that seem really far away and like what is going on. Uh, Jesus, this is, this is your word. It's from you and it's for us. We believe that you speak to us through your word. And so right now we, we open, we invite you, we open our hearts and our minds. We wanna hear from the living God. This is our window to hear from you, Lord. So speak to us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you guys know we're living in a pretty crazy time in history. Uh, maybe one of the most like politically crazy times since maybe the 60s, which we weren't around for. Uh, maybe before that, like the Civil War. But like we're living in a crazy time and there's this thing in us. I mean, maybe some of you are excited, maybe some of you are not excited, but like there's just this longing in our souls for peace, for things to be right. And, and that's just human. That's right. Like, I'm longing for peace. I'm longing for things to be right. In, in all, almost all of the classic stories, okay, in literature, in movies, uh, typically here's the storyline. You have some characters or a character, something's wrong in the world or their world. They go on some kind of adventure to, to make things right. They overthrow some kind of evil and then they, they restore some peace and then they get to come home to peace, like that's a profound desire in our souls to like be at home, to have home, to have peace. Um, I don't know what stories you like. I love the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Uh, and that's like, there's just this thing in The Hobbits that like, why are we even doing this? All we want to do is get back to the Shire. We just want to get back to the Shire, smoke our pipes and enjoy our life. Like, why are we here? We as humans have this desire to get back to the Shire. Like, I just want to be where it is right. Uh, classic movie growing up for me was Homeward Bound. You guys know that one, right? Like, they're on this adventure, but like, really all they want is just to be back home with their master. Uh, 
like then there's these little versions of that that we each have. So for me, for like just peace in the world, for me is just to have my stomach full of In-N-Out and a Diet Coke in my hand. And honestly, I am good. Like I am at peace with the world for like an hour, right? That's all I need. Uh, For others of you, it may be like maybe a meal with friends or in this beautiful place. Uh, For others of you, it may just be your bed. Just give me my bed and give me nothing to do the next day. And that's just, that's all I need. Just let me lay here in my bed. Um, If you're in college, that feeling of Christmas break that you all just got to experience of like, just take a breath. There's nothing demanded of me for this little bit of time. Um, If you're working, it's the feeling of Friday, right? Just make it to Friday and just get to just take that breath like it is done. Uh, The Bible has language for this. Uh, There's this word called shalom. It's this idea of like peace and wholeness. It's the idea that we want to get back to the garden, to the Garden of Eden, when things were right with the world, when work wasn't cursed, when our relationships weren't broken, and when most profoundly we were at peace with God. Like, man, just to have an easy relationship with God. I long for that peace. And, and at, at the deepest level of your soul, you may not even know it, but it's this longing to just draw near and be at peace with God. That's in every human soul. That's what drives you. And you may not even acknowledge that, but that is in, it's in us. One of the, probably the smartest man who has ever lived, Augustine said, this is brilliant, says, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That right there is like the human condition. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. To be like at peace with the God of the universe who sustains all things, to have this relationship with him, to be able to draw near to God. And it's like easy and it's good. And you don't have all this like issues and fear and guilt like like walls. And, And the thing is, we do have these walls. We have these problems, these boundaries that keep us from that peace to be with God and to be at peace with the world. And, uh, For some of you, it may just be like, honestly, God's just far away. Yeah, it's nice to be at peace and to draw near to God, but like, he, where is he? I cry out, he just seems far. For others of us, um, it's some different variation of, I'm just too messed up. I'm just too messed, I'm jacked up. Uh, Yeah, it's nice, sounds nice to have a relationship with God, but like, I've broken my relationship with God. Like with my actions, my rebellion, my unbelief, those times where I like knew what was right, but I was like, no, God, I don't, I don't want to listen. I want to do what I want to do. Now we just have that like, you know, you get in a fight with someone or there's just something awkward between you and another person, like, I ah, just, that's there. We feel that with God. Others of you may sense this like spiritual debt, uh, like I've incurred a great debt against God and there's like, I need to pay him back. Like, like I owe God. And I'm trying to make it right, but I just, I just feel like I can't muster up enough spiritual currency to pay that debt. Others of you may be like justice people. Like, it's just not right. I have broken his laws and it's not right. It's not fair for me to be with God. I want to be with God, but I just have this sense of like, man, I have broken the rules. 
Um, you may be one of those people who like, you're a little kid and you break a rule. Like your parents don't even need to punish you because you just feel the shame. Like I have broken the rules and I am so sorry. That's some people, that's not me. But that's definitely some people. And you just have that feeling like, I know that I have broken the rules with God. Others of us, it may be more of like shame. Man, I just feel ashamed when I, I want to draw near to God. Like even just this last moment when we were worshiping, I want to draw near, but I just I feel this weight and this shame and this guilt. It's a lot of what Leviticus talks about. Like I feel unclean. I feel tainted in my soul. So I, yeah, it sounds awesome to have this relationship to just draw near to God like anything, but I just feel this guilt, this guilt. And so we're asking this question, every human, all of us, every one of us, every day is like, how can I just be at home in my soul? How can I finally just be at rest and find that shalom and that joy? Like, how can I, that most fundamentally, how can I just draw near to God and be near and with him? And honestly, like Augustine said, to answer that question is to answer every question that you're asking. To answer that one question, how can I be at peace with God? That is underneath every other question you are asking. And so this chapter, chapter 16 specifically, and 17 is clarifying a couple things. This chapter gives us, this is cool, gives us six ways, six ways to, to regain that peace with God. It's, and it's pretty awesome. And they apply still today. We don't make animal sacrifices anymore, but these six things are for us. And um, I'll just say this, a little bit of context. This, what we just read was like Christmas for Jews. This was like the day of atonement. It was once a year. It was like the big deal. It was the holiday. Arguably more significant than Passover. This day, <clears throat> they had like, you know, we basically just read like the Christmas tradition for all of Israel. You know, like, okay, you got to do this, and then you got to do this, and you got to like, you know, decorate the tree, and then this many days in advance. Like, this was the day. It's almost every significant symbol in the Bible is wrapped up in the Day of Atonement. Almost so many symbols of the Old Testament is wrapped up in this day. This chapter, chapter 16, is the climax of all of Leviticus. It's what everything we've been reading culminates in. All the sacrifices, all the jobs of the priest, all the blood, all the symbolism, all the uncleanness, like it is, it is climaxed in this chapter. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll, we'll peek ahead a little bit. What this chapter is pointing to is at the center of the entire Bible. This chapter, chapter 16 of Leviticus, is at the center of the entire Bible. This is like the, this chapter is so significant. And so we're going to get into it. Six ways. How can I find that peace? How can I draw near to God? And the first one is this. From verse 1, the first way to draw near to God and be at peace with God, it's counterintuitive, it's this. God speaks to you. This is interesting. It's nothing you do. God speaks to you. Look at verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses. Okay, this is so important, you guys. How can I find peace with God? You need to know this. You don't go find peace with God. God draws near to you. God, listen, you aren't looking for God. The world's not out looking for God. We would never be doing that unless God came and came after us. 
God comes after you. That's the beginning of your relationship with God. God comes after you. Like Moses in the burning bush. He wasn't looking for God. He was like running from his problems and God shows up and speaks to him. All of Leviticus, God is showing up and initiating and speaking to Moses. Your whole relationship with God, I need to tell you, is God initiating a relationship with you. God speaking to you before you ever seek him. And how does God draw near? This is really significant. It's, it's so familiar, but it's significant. How does God draw near? He speaks. God speaks. God speaking is, ba- is like his favorite thing to do. How did God create the world? He spoke. When God speaks, things happen. That is how God initiates his relationship. That's how God creates. He speaks. And, and I just, this is an important side note. May that never get old, you guys, that God actually speaks. God speaks to you today. He literally speaks. I know we feel like, okay, I want to draw near to God. I want to be peace with God, but he's far away. Where are you, God? I want you to know God is still speaking. Just in, up to this point in Leviticus, he, the exact phrase, the Lord spoke, has happened 20 times. 20 times in 16 chapters. In chapter six, four times, the Lord spoke. And listen, he is, you guys, this is, he is still speaking. And don't let anyone tell you God doesn't speak. Don't let anyone tell you you can't actually know the truth about God. You can't actually know what is true about God. You can because God in heaven has spoken and said, I am like this. We, the, this book, you guys, is not a bunch of, you know, different people's ideas uh, and their experiences with God. It's actually not. This is God coming into history and revealing himself. This book is from God. He is speaking. If you want to know truth, how can I know who God is? This isn't a human book. This is first and foremost, God initiated and he speaks He uses humans, but he initiates and he speaks. And that's what this book is. This this is actually a miracle right here. This right here, miracle from heaven. This is God speaking. He still speaks. When you feel alone and confused and far from God, listen, don't just sit there and speak to yourself and just wonder, like, God has spoken. Go hear him. He's told you truths about him. And then if you're a Christian, he also speaks as he's given you his Holy Spirit. Right now you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And the Holy Spirit was the author of this book. And so with the Holy Spirit in you, as you read this, God speaks. He's still speaking. This book is living and active. Uh, this is such a basic thing, you guys, this first point. But it is, it is so important that... Like, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, I'm just going to be really frank. You, have, you just have to read this thing. You just have to. It's not enough to just get a second hand. Oh, I'm glad God spoke to you. Oh, I want to just listen to sermons and God spoke to that person. Like, you need fresh bread from heaven. Uh, in the Old Testament, when they escaped Israel, God delivered them. He literally rained manna from heaven on the ground, okay? And he said, everyone has to go gather manna. Um, but here's the thing. You would have to go gather manna for yourself, and you can't gather two days' worth of manna, which is what I would do. I'm like a planner. I'm going to build my little manna shed, and I'm just going to build it up, and in case anything goes wrong or God just forgets, I got my manna. If you gather too much manna for tomorrow, like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible on Sundays or on Mondays, and I'm just going to read it for like a couple hours, and I'll be solid. 
The next day, when you had that manna, it was spoiled and there were worms and it was rotten. And there was a point. Why was that? Because every day you needed, the Israelite needed to go outside and get manna from God. Bread from God, the bread. Do you know what is bread from God is this book? And you, I just, out of love for you, you need fresh bread every single day. There's just no other way around it. If you want to be with God, if you want to draw near to God and have peace from God, you have to rely on bread from him every single day. Now, okay, oh, it's just burdens. Read the Bible. I try. It's hard. It's confusing. Um, I'll just get really practical. I, to be honest, I didn't read through the Bible until I graduated from college, and it was awesome. But I was like, how have I never done this? Um, there's a couple really cool resources I just want to recommend because I know this book is confusing, right? You just open it up. It's confusing. You try to read, and you get to Leviticus, and you're like, what is this? This is not from God. This is confusing. Um, there's, a, there's a website and this, like, organization called The Bible Project. I could not recommend it more highly, you guys. The Bible Project. Just look it up, The Bible Project. Um, they have a couple things, but specifically, this is so helpful. They have a reading plan for the year, okay? It's like two pages, PDF. You can just get an app or you can print it out. And you go through the Bible in a year, but they, they've broken it up in terms of like giant themes and a storyline. So a little crazy, but they've like rearranged. Like, do you know what? We're gonna do it from the beginning to the end. So they rearranged the order of books. It's still the Bible. It's okay. Um, and then every, about every single week, they have like on this chart, there's a different video that's like the best made done video about any book of the Bible you've ever seen. And you get at least one a week. So you're like, okay, I'm about to read numbers and this is going to be confusing. The little video is like, hey, let me explain to you what numbers is, why it's confusing. You're going to be confused here, but this is what it means. And then you get a psalm every single day and you go through the psalms like twice. Why do you go through the psalms? Because listen, we don't just read this book for our mind. We need to read this book for our mind, but we as humans are more than just brains we are, have souls and hearts and emotions. And the Psalms, you guys, when you read the Psalms, it's just like it's pouring your heart and your soul out to the Lord. So yeah, you're going to like read some chapters. It's going to be confusing. And then you need to read this book for your soul as well and just let it marinate. Like after you're like, oh, the 1300 judges went to blah, blah, blah. You're like, what the heck? And then it's like, oh, my soul thirsts for you. Like, yes, okay, this is good. I can keep going. So you read a couple chapters a day, you read a psalm a day, you get a video once a week. It's the best resource I've ever seen on reading the Bible. There's even this intro video like, what am I doing with the Bible? It's really good. So recommend that. Um, and number two, practically, I just recommend some kind of plan. We just, we need a plan. I'm not the plan guy. I'm a P on the Myers-Briggs. I hate plans. I hate planning my life. I change plans. I don't like plans, which is why I need a plan. Because my life would be a wreck if I was just like, I'm just going to read this when I feel like it. It just doesn't work that way. You need some kind of commitment. This, your relationship with God. I know that it matters to you because you're here tonight. It matters. And so make some kind of commitment to be intentionally growing in your relationship with God. We do that with our relationships. We do that with our work or our class. Like, we need to be a little bit intentional with this. I know it's not easy. It's not easy. But this is what you need for your soul. So the first way to gain peace with the Lord is that God speaks to you. God speaks. Leviticus 16, 1. Okay, number two. The second way to get peace with God from Leviticus 16 and 17 is this. God determines how we draw near to him. 
That's number two. God determines how we draw near to him. Quick little side note on that. God is actually real. Uh, He's not something we just make up with our minds, which means God gets to like say what God wants to say. And he gets to determine how things go and how things are. If, If you're just coming to the Bible and God like, you know what, I like this, but I don't like this. Guess what you've just done? You just created your own God. He's in your image. God is real, and he gets to say how things are going to go. God is real. You know you're interacting with a real God when he's, like, challenging you and and confusing or hard. Okay, that's a good sign that I'm not just making this thing up. So God gets to say how we draw near to him. And really quickly, there's there's four specific little, this is, sorry, sub points, what he says in these chapters. This is how you need to come to me. God determines the way we come to him, the time we come to him, through the person that we come to him, and the place that we come to him. First quick one, God says, in this way, Aaron shall come to the holy place. God isn't like, hey, yeah, come be with me, but do it kind of any way you want. You figure it out, you come to me. Aaron's sons did that a couple chapters ago. And if you remember, if you were here, they died. They fire from the mercy seat, burned them up. So you can't just like do what you want when it comes to God. God determines how you come to him. David, who loved the Lord, was bringing the ark one day. And he, God said, when you carry the ark, you need to have Levites do it with poles. And he's like, yeah, but I have this new cart that I just made for God and we're gonna put it on the cart. That sounds like a good idea. And he's worshiping God. And then the cart, the ox stumbles and the cart tips and a guy touches it, God just kills the guy. And David's like, what are you doing? And God's like, I told you, that's not how you carry the ark. God gets to determine the way that we come to him. And chapter 17 is clarifying. The way you come to him is through blood. What the heck? Yep, through blood. Chapter 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Listen, the only way to come to God is through blood. You can't just try hard. You can't just be a good person. You need blood. You need actual blood to be poured out if you are gonna come near to God. That's the way he's appointed. Number two, the time he's appointed. This holiday, God was like, on this month, at this day, at this time, for these 24 hours, this is the holiday. It shall be a statute to you forever. This wasn't just a casual, spontaneous, all right, I don't want to be near to God. He was like, hey, it's one day. Don't miss it. Like, this is the day. This is the time. And that relates to us, to you guys. Listen, we have one life to come near to God. And what we decide to do in this life affects eternity. This life is your time. What am I going to do with with Jesus? What am I going to do with God? We don't get to wait till the next life. We don't get to be in hell like, oh, this was a bad decision. I want like, that's honestly, it's heavy, but it's too late. Hebrews says it is appointed for a man to die once. And after that comes judgment. We have this time to be with God. We have this time. And I know, like, it's so common. We're young. I'll figure it out later. I'll really get my act together later. I'll get my reading plan together later. But, like, this is the time that you have to be with the Lord. And what you do in this limited time that is like a vapor, this determines eternity. You guys, just let me just encourage you. Don't wait. Don't even wait until tomorrow. Like, come to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Now, don't waste it. Just, oh, get there. You, like, you may not get there. As heavy as it is, like, you may not make it home tonight. Like, be with the Lord tonight. 
The third one is God commanded the person to come to him. It says, Aaron shall present the bull, make atonement for himself. He shall kill the bull. So at that time for this holiday, one person got to go be in the Holy of Holies. One person. None of us would have been it. One person, the guy. It's what he does until he dies and then another person gets it. The high priest. Only one, not two priests, only one priest. And God says, this is the way. If you want to celebrate this holiday and have your sins be taken away, there is one person to do it. There is one man. And that kind of makes sense in the sense of this. Okay, let's say, maybe you've said this before. Let's say God has a cell phone, right? Uh, How many numbers do you dial to reach any given person's cell phone? Many numbers? No, every cell phone has one number, right? God's like, hey, I have a cell phone. It's this number, this one guy. You need to go this way. We can't just like, oh, I want to dial the number I want, but I still want to get to God. God is like specific. It has to be through this one man. And then the last subpoint, God ordained the place. That's what the first half of 17 was talking about. You can't just go make a sacrifice casually in your backyard. And like, okay, yeah, I've sacrificed to the Lord. Thank you. God is like, if you do that, like you're unclean. You, like you can't, you're cut off. You need to bring your sacrifice to the specific place, the tabernacle where I have where I have ordained. We can't just freely worship God however we want and come up in our head, whatever's most convenient for us. I I confess, um, when I try to fast, what typically happens is I like inconveniently miss a meal and then I decide, oh, well, that will just, I'll be fasting. Yeah, I'm fasting. I'm just like, no, I wasn't fasting. I'm not worshiping God. I'm just trying to make something of my inconvenience. God is like, you have to do it this way. You have to inconvenience yourself, bring your animals to this specific place. It's similar if God had a house and an address. He's like, listen, you need to come to, you, you can't just take any old road in any old direction and end up at my house. There's a way to my house. I'm, t- I'm inviting you over, but you have to come to my house. You can't just choose any house you want. So that's, that's point number two. God determines the way we draw near and find peace with him. Number three is this. God provides a representative for us. He provides a representative. So here's the big idea. God is so holy that we can't just come to him as we are. That's, that's kind of crazy. I'm going to clarify that. But he's like the sun, okay? And let's say, um, and, and it's actually kind of nice to have a representative because God's actually really gnarly. And we sometimes don't think of him that way. But let's say uh, you want to, there's a sun, right? And God is like, I need someone to come make a trip to the sun. And we're like, I don't want to make a trip to the sun. I don't think you can survive a trip to the sun. He's like, oh, there's a special spaceship and it's risky, but like if you do it right, one guy can come visit the sun. I would be down for a representative. I would be like, okay, not me. Especially because a couple days earlier, the last two guys who went to the sun got burned up in front of everybody. Like, I'm not jumping on that opportunity to go be in the holy of holies where people die if they do anything wrong. So God is graciously providing a representative who is going to go enter into his presence. And, and listen, that's kind of nice that someone else is willing to risk their life for you to go to God. It's kind of nice. Number four is this. God also provides, if you want to draw near to the Lord, he provides substitutes for your sin. And, and he did that specifically. I'm going to focus on the two goats. Remember the two goats? He says, you get these two goats. You cast lots. One goes to God. One goes to Azazel. Who is Azazel? Nobody really knows, but we're pretty sure it's Satan, but we're not sure. Just makes sense. 
Azazel, never see, seen it before. The, the goat that the lot, the dice falls to God, this is what you do with that goat. It says in chapter 16, 15, he shall kill the goat that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil. So what's the picture here? God, here's the big picture. God substitutes and takes the life of an animal and he atones for and forgives your sin. So he takes this substitute and it takes your place and takes your death and its blood is sprinkled. And a couple ideas are happening there. Your debt that you owe to God that we all know about, that animal takes your debt for you. That relational injustice, like, man, I'm not right, that animal takes the burden of it. The justice, man, I've broken the rules, I deserve to be punished, that animal takes your punishment, takes your place. That's one of the goats, just gets life, gets taken. Uh, A kind of crazy picture of substitution, but it's powerful. And we get this even in, in humanity, it's powerful when someone lays their life down for another. That's like, Every good hero in any good story, they're laying their life down. There's this story I've heard of two uh, brothers, like, running around, little kids in Asia. Um, and they stumbled into quicksand. And they were slowly going. And the older brother knew, like, we're not going to make it. And he said to his younger brother, hey, I want you to climb on my shoulders. And, like, you will live. And he laid, literally laid his life down for his older brother. That's this picture of a substitute that is taking, he's laying his life down so that you can go free. That's the one goat who was killed. Then the other goat, this is this interesting picture, and it says this in chapter 16, 21, 22, Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away, and the goat shall bear their iniquities on itself. So the first goat represented this, God forgives your sin. The second goat represents this, God removes your sin. Okay, first one, you deserve punishment. You you need forgiveness, that goat takes your place. But this goat is God saying, not only will I forgive you, not only will this other thing take your place and die, I want to, to take your sin away. I want to remove it from you. That shame that you feel, Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm forgiven, but like, I just still feel shame and dirty. God is saying, I, you symbolically, is, you're going to place that on that goat, and that goat is going to leave with your shame. That guilt you feel, that dirtiness and uncleanness, that goat is going to take it away. God is actually taking our shame and our dirtiness and our wounds and our filth away in a real way. Like, we don't bear that dirtiness anymore. God is saying, I've punished one goat, and this goat has removed all of your shame and all of your sin. You see that process where, like, starting to experience, like, peace and, and nearness to God. All of a sudden, we can start drawing near because, like, man, all my punishment's gone, and all my filth and dirtiness and my guilt is gone. The fifth way this chapter talks about drawing near to God is this. This is cool. God lets that representative, he lets them in behind the veil, okay? So back in that day, God was so holy and so gnarly that he reserved his presence for like a, basically the size of one of these carpets. Like this square is where God is. If you want to be with him, well, you, you couldn't. You go in there, you die. But once a year, 
the representative, if he does all these things right, gets to go on your behalf, there is this veil, this curtain that separated the general tabernacle, the holy place, with the most holy place. And you, he, that representative, got to go in to the holy of holies. That's where God's presence was. And, and what this representative does is he takes all this blood and he brings the blood past the veil and he pours it out. And it's this symbol of, yes, you can now draw near to God. Someone can draw near to God on your behalf. If any one of us would have done it, we would have died. But once a year, this symbol was, I will let your representative come past this veil and be near to me. And the final step in drawing near to God is this. Once all of that has happened and that person is in the Holy of Holies, atonement is finally made. I'm going to read chapter 16, verse 16, and then 34. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And this shall be a statute forever that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year for all their sins. Okay, what's going on here? All of your sins, all of your uncleanness would be covered once a year and you could leave that day knowing I am clean and forgiven and I was symbolically let in to be near to God. So in these, in that chapter, these two chapters, those are the steps. Now, honestly, when I was reading that, I was like, okay, but didn't, they already had sacrifices and they made them every day. So couldn't you technically just be clean already? Like, why do you need this extra day to, to have all this stuff go through and be clean if you could just be doing that every day? Like, I don't really get why do this special thing. Aren't you already clean if you're doing all of your sacrifices? And here's the thing. Why, why the extra holiday that's like the special day for sins? Why that? It was a picture, a prophecy of another day that was coming. I'm going to read to you in Zechariah 3, 8 and 9. This is a prophecy talking about what, why is the day of atonement happening? Listen to this prophecy. Here now... This is to the high priest, the guy who went in there. Oh, Joshua, the high priest, behold, I will bring my servant the branch. What is that, the branch? For behold, on the stone, prophecies are mysterious. On the stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. So what God is doing in this yearly Christmas of forgiving of sins is, is this picture that, hey, it kind of sucks that you have to like every day make sacrifices. This is a lot of work. And once a year, I want you to know that there's coming a day when all the sins will be removed once and for all. Once and for all. Now, Here's the thing. This is so good, you guys. That day came when God himself humbled himself as a man and embodied this entire day of atonement in his own flesh. You guys, this points to Jesus. Jesus, remember, you have to have the way. You got to do it the right way. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what Jesus said of himself? I'm the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And remember, you had to have all these priests and then the high priest. 
Do you know Jesus? Listen, he is your high priest, the highest priest. I'm going to read to you out of Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for a single time a sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You guys, you used to have to go every single day. And what God said is it didn't even work. Your sins, people's sins weren't even forgiven. But Jesus offered himself as the high priest, did one sacrifice. And then what did he do? He sat down like a boss, just like, I'm done. I'm done here, sitting down. Remember how you had these substitutes, these goats? Listen, Jesus was the, is the sacrificial goat. And his blood is the one that was shed for your sin on the cross. Jesus took your death. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took the punishment you deserved for your sin on the cross. His blood was shed. And you remember the scapegoat who went away? Jesus is the better scapegoat who took your sin away once and for all. As far as the east is from the west, your sin is actually gone. You don't have it anymore. Listen to Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? Jesus was your sacrificial goat and he was your sacrificial, your your scapegoat who took your sins away. And remember how they would do this every single year, just celebrating it? Listen, Jesus succeeded one time. He made one sacrifice and he was done. He sat down. And atonement, forgiveness of your sins. Listen to Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Listen, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are perfect. I don't even know what that means. But you have been made perfect in Jesus. Your conscience can be made clean. Your soul can be at rest. And, and Hebrews says this is an eternal redemption. This isn't one that's daily or yearly. If you come to Jesus, that salvation lasts forever. You don't have to worry every day, how am I doing today? Am I following Jesus enough? It's forever. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. He was punished once and for all. There's no more punishment left for you. You, you're not dirty anymore. He took your sin away once and for all. Like right now, you are clean and made perfect. If you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to earn it. You can't even earn it. You can't pay it back. Right now, Jesus looks at you and he sees perfection because of his blood for you, because you are covered in his blood. And you remember the veil? It says in chapter 16 to tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place. And you remember what happened at Jesus' death? I'm gonna read it to you. Matthew 27, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others says, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook 
and the rocks were split. You guys, that curtain doesn't even exist anymore. You can enter into the presence of God, not once a year, not with a representative who goes for you. Right now, you can freely enter into the presence of God with a clean conscience, with your punishment removed. You are accepted and loved. And so Hebrews says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Like, draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean. Listen, we're gonna worship And here's the call, draw near to Jesus like you can. There's no more guilt for you. There's no more shame. There's no more earning it. There's nothing you can do. Jesus has fulfilled this entire chapter, the entire process of every sacrifice and every little weird thing you had to do, all the blood and the sprinkling and the cleaning, like Jesus says, it's done. It's over with. Come draw near to me. Be with me. Your soul can be at peace with God, not because of what you do, Come be with me, Jesus says, and do it today. He says, come while it is still today. And so we're going to have this opportunity to worship right now. And I know that we have things going on in our life. I know that we are dealing with sin that feels like it's, like it's still part of us, like it's on us. Like we feel this guilt and the shame. And I just want to speak over you, if you're in Christ, like you are clean. It is done. It is finished. You are not condemned. Some of you may not be in Christ and you're just feeling like, wait, like I am still dirty and I don't know. And I don't know if that's true. Listen, this is what you had to do. Do you know what's so cool? The picture of putting the hands on the head, that's pretty much what it is to become a Christian. Do you know what you have to do? You just need to like, like put your hands on Jesus and be like, take my sin. That's pretty much what you do. Like, that's, that's it. That's about it. I trust you. I give my sin and my filth to you. And Jesus says, that's it. Now come to me. That's all I'm calling you to do. Trust me. Put your faith in me and you will be clean. And for the rest of us, let's, let's draw near. We have, we have communion. And I know these things are like really familiar. We've experienced them maybe many of you for your whole life. But Paul said of this truth, like, this is it. This is like graduate level Christianity. There's not like, yeah, the gospel the blood of Jesus, now you need to get to work. Like he says, all I want to know is Jesus and him crucified. That's it. That's the end. That's what you need to know. Every day when you wake up in the morning, what's the main thing I need to do today? It's I need to remember that Jesus died for me and I'm clean. I'm clean. And when you know that, like fruit's going to come. You're going to obey him. You're going to walk with him. You're going to long to learn from him. But the number one thing you do every day is just remember the blood of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Today. I'm going to remember. I'm going to put like my hands fresh. Okay, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting in him. He has taken my sin away. So let's worship him right now, you guys. We're going to have carpets. We're going to have prayer teams to have confession of sin, to receive prayer. And uh, like the, the veil's open. Like right now, Jesus is like, hey, let's go. Let's do this. Come be with me. You don't have to do anything else. It's open. This is an open invite to be with Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus, thank you that you have fulfilled this day, all these symbols, all this blood that was shed. Thank you that only through your blood can our consciences be clean, can our sin be forgiven and removed. Jesus, right now, I just... 
just declare that there is no sin in this room that is greater than the blood of Jesus. There is no sin in this room that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. So would we lay hold of you in that truth that we can be clean? And will we worship you, Jesus? The main thing we, the call to us right now is just give me your sin, come to me. So would we do that? Would we hear that call, Holy Spirit, beckon us, call us to draw near to you, God, because of Christ?